God who is all knowing and all loving, we look to you now, humbly saying that we have not done all that we ought to do for the things that we have left undone, for the things that we have done that have harmed your beloved ones. We now offer our sincerest regret and lament, and we say, God help us. God help us. Would you show us and pour out on us your great love, that love that transforms, that love that empowers, that love that uplifts, and do the work of changing our hearts towards the things of God, which are love and justice, truth and righteousness. May we be true with your hands and feet, serving those among us. In Jesus' name I pray. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Thank you. 
purpose of the book is that from generation to generation to generation, there has been this flowing river, this current that has moved people's bodies, their entire lives, their communities in a struggle for love and for justice. As a night when Martin Luther King was sitting in his house, he had received, he and his wife, Corella, had received death threat after death threat. He just had the birth of a baby girl. And it was having its wear and tear on both Coretta and Martin. On this specific night, Martin was sitting at the table. He made himself a cup of coffee. He was really wrestling with these deep questions. He was saying to God, God, I'm out here trying to do your will. I think what I'm doing is right. I think you've called me to do this work of justice. But yet and still, I deal with death threat. I deal with pain, suffering, and sorrow. And I don't know if I'm on the right road. I feel like I am, but I'm not completely sure. And Martin said that he had this revolutionary moment where the living God spoke to his soul and told him that God was with him and that God would never leave nor forsake him in the struggle for justice. And that day, Martin tapped into that deep, deep well of the Spirit of God. We live in a generation where, in many ways, folks who struggle for justice are estranged from that deep well. Those deep traditions of African people tapping into the God of the, to the God of the universe and learning how to find meaning for themselves and learning how to continue to struggle against all odds. And in this moment, it's an invitation from the Holy Spirit to each and every one of us. If you're dry, if you're thirsty, if you're weary, if you're traumatized, if you feel like giving up God in this moment is calling and inviting you to drink from that deep, deep well. I don't know about you, but I entered into this space time. I entered into this space weary. I entered into this space close to giving up. But in these moments, God allows us to tap into that deep well. I want to ask everybody to stand to your feet. For me, this work is only sustained by being connected to the divine. For me, this work is only sustained by bathing and encountering the love of God. So I want you to lift your hands in this moment. I just want to breathe a prayer of you before they do our, our final song. God, we thank you for this deep well. You know who we are. You know where we are. You know our fears. You know our worries. You know our concerns. You know our wrongs. You know our rights. You know our contradictions, oh God. You know the ways that we've felt. You know the ways that we've been faithful. But yet your love is deep and abiding. We thank you for this deep abiding love and we ask right now that from heart to heart, from mind to mind, individually and collectively, we would encounter the spirit of this great love and this great love was with us from wherever we are, God. That you would breathe upon us, God. That you would immerse us in this deep well and that we would have this power this power that makes us love when we don't want to love. This power that makes us show up when we don't want to show up. This power that tells us to sit our butts down somewhere and rest when we need to do that. God, give us this power, this grace, this love, this truth that we might honor you and that we might bend this crooked world towards justice, love, and peace. Bless each person under the sound of my voice. In the name and spirit of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen.
may justice actually flow, overflow in the streets. But we don't just want to see that come one sweet day, but we want to see that come today. Amen. Amen. And so, like Terrence had said, we're not just going to do the work you may be seated. We're not just going to do the work of listening in some pulpits and on some pews and just talking about justice. We're going to preach it, teach it, and actually live it out. Won't we? Amen. 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 Sometimes we feel like we don't have an opportunity, but I pray that you know that there is more than enough work to be done. I have the benefit of introducing that to some people that I care about deeply. Ms. Arette and Ms. Brittany, Dr. Brittany. Yes, and Sarah, come on, come on. And they're gonna to talk to us about Child Operation Project when we come. One 
a race that we were not allowed in this country to even connect with, to be with, other than in the school system. That's just a little bit of my history. And what brought me here was that when COVID came down, I was the only member of my family in Atlanta. I have one son. I have lots of daughters now. <laughs> but I have one son, biological son, who had graduated from university here in North Carolina and was now residing in Raleigh who was very upset that had, if something were to happen to me, there would be no one in the Atlanta area of the family to care for me. So I came back to where my roots are. My family has lived here in the Winston-Salem area since 19, well, I still have the deed when my grandparents purchased the house in 1922. And we still own the house over on Jackson Avenue. So I came up here to where my roots were, where I had family members, and settled. As an activist, you don't give up the work that you do. So when I saw that there was a need for the addressing of some issues here in Forsyth County, in Winston-Salem, not knowing anyone other than family members, I just took my little sign, I made my handmade signs, and I went and stood on the Fifth Street Bridge over 52. By myself. <laughs> By myself. And I just held the sign so that anyone driving on 52 going in that direction would at least see it and begin to think. Whatever length they further had to drive, they would think about this woman who was standing up on the bridge with a sign. What was that about? I then met an incredible group of individuals during the summer of 2020. These were individuals who not only recognized that changes needed to be made, but were willing to stand up and speak out to demand that they be changed. That's rare. So often, injustices continue because no one challenges them. Within Triad Abolition Project, we had 55 arrest the summer of 2020 from occupying Winston Salem it was occupied WSMC down at Bailey Park that lasted 48 days 
49 days. This was every day. Rain, sweltering heat. Regardless what was happening throughout the rest of the city, we were there to bring attention to the unjust, unnecessary, and just the torturous death of Mr. John Neville within the Forsyth County Jail. Now there was a lot, a lot of national attention on other deaths. But here you have a death from the prone restraint right here within your own community, within feet of where people live. That had to be, that had to be brought to the attention of the public. From those arrests and with COVID, those arrests have now come up for hearings. As the elder, and as one who was advising the group on what actions should be taken, I wanted to make sure that every person that came up for a hearing had someone there in the courthouse, in the courtroom, to support them. So I was coming up from Atlanta whenever we had court hearings, what we call court watch. It's amazing how you will see actions taken a certain way if there is the perception or the knowledge that no one is watching. That's right. The minute they know that eyes are on them, you've already begun to change the circumstances. Now on May 17th, during one of these, and I have been court watching for weeks now, whenever we had cases come up. On May 17th, again, I show up at the courthouse as I have done numerous times, same way, dressed similarly, Always glasses on top of my head because that is just where they get brought all the time. I had no court date. I was merely there as an observer to make sure that those who were being heard from Occupy had support knew that they had support, would show the court that they had support, and to make sure that the hearings were done in the correct manner. I was told by a bail, the second half of the, the court date, we had lunch, we had gone to lunch, come back. So this was about 2.30 in the afternoon when the court was re, uh, put back into session. 
I was told by a bailiff to remove my sunglasses from the top of my head. I'm an activist, I'm sorry. <laughs> I question. And so I question. What North Carolina statute dictates that I must remove the sunglasses from the top of my head in the courtroom? Something that I have been doing for numerous times court watching in the past. That question was enough to stir anger in this bailiff. To the point where he pointed to me and said directly, I will make sure the judge knows you when you come before him. I didn't have a hearing. <laughs> I wasn't to come before the judge. I merely asked a question. The two individuals who had their hearings from occupying Worker, their cases were dismissed, and that was that. We were on our way out of the courtroom when the bailiff found it necessary to hurry up to the judge, said something to him, and then came back to where I had gathered my items and was leaping out of the rows of seating and blocked my way saying, you have to go to the judge. No, sir. I had no hearing. I also had an appointment that I was already late for. Because I refused to accept some arbitrary, made-up rule, I was now going to be detained. We were finished for the day. When I refused and said, no, I have an appointment to go to, he continued to push against me and pushed me and I kept saying, don't touch me, but continued to push his body against me to force me towards the judge. At some point, and I don't know you, I don't know how it escalated, but he was upset that I was going to leave. Before the night ended, I was arrested. I was tackled. Now, I thought it was just the one bailiff. I was told later it was six bailiffs that tackled me. I was arrested. I was charged. And I was held in jail, unable to call anyone. I didn't have my phone, and all of my numbers were in my phone. 
Nowadays, you don't remember telephone numbers. And I should have known this because as an activist, I always thought when we have an instance where we might be arrested, you always write the number of who you need to contact in a Sharpie on your arm, on your leg, somewhere, because they will take all of your possessions. I need to think about that because I was not expecting to be arrested. Not having any of these numbers, I couldn't remember a number, local number to call for anyone. So I was in jail for 31 hours, not just arrested in jail, but I was told after they gave me the jail uniform, oh, I had to take that one off because they were putting me in maximum security. So I now had to change from a, a pink to now an orange. I had to be shackled. My legs were shackled, my arms were shackled and attached down to my waist. That was any time I was not in the jail cell, I had to be shackled. Because I asked a question. Because I dared to push back. Because I am a black woman, in today's society, who dares, who dares to question today's society? This is what we must change. Those who are within TAP know me. Because being in Atlanta, I have worked in organizations whose history grew out of the civil rights movement. I worked with the National Office of SCLC. I went and continue to go into rural areas where white supremacy is terrorizing communities, where we have to sneak in with our headlights off on the country roads in what we call country black in the woods because the Klan, white supremacists, know our vehicles, know us, and know that we're coming in. This will not deter us. If anything, it makes me stronger, more determined to bring these issues to light to make sure 
that the generations that come behind me have the tools that they need, the foundation that they need to carry on until we have got it wrong. My grandparents did it. My parents did it. And I will do it. At some point, we have to get it right. We cannot continue to allow this to go the way it is. So today I'm asking y'all to all be traitors to the carceral state because carcerality and the criminal legal system, the criminal punishment system is what caused this whole situation that we have with Missy Vet. And one of the things that's important for y'all to um, understand is that the bailiff said that these glasses on the top of her head were violating the norms of decorum in the court. Decorum. I'm not going to give the mic to Sarah because Sarah was saying I'm going to So I'm going to keep the mic here. But I want y'all to really understand because everybody in here has to push back against that narrative. That, that judges should have so much authoritarian power that they can literally take someone's freedom. They can put someone in a cell, take their freedom, jail them because they have sunglasses on the top of their head. That cannot stand. That cannot stand. So what can y'all do? Um, we have several ways for y'all to get involved in supporting what's happening with Ms. Yvette. She didn't say this, and this is really important for y'all to know. She's charged with felony assault with a deadly weapon on a police officer. What was the weapon? Felony assault with a deadly weapon on a police officer. Her alleged weapon was a ballpoint pen. Was a ballpoint pen. She's facing more than four years in prison. She's 62 years old. She's facing four year, more than four years in prison um, for supposedly assaulting six bailiffs in a courtroom with a over ballpark the corner because she had sunglasses on the top of her head. So it's really serious. These are not the Occupy arrests where we were just charged with you know, mis you know, traffic offenses. Nobody was going to jail or prison for that. She's facing prison time, so we have to get real attorneys. We have to get real attorneys that do real trial attorney work that costs money that we don't have <laughs> so we are raising funds um i have qr codes little cards that y'all can literally scan on your phone so you can scan those qr codes that's going to take you to our home page where there's a link to a petition the petition is demanding that all charges against Ms. Yvette be immediately dismissed. That links you to our Give Butter campaign, which is essentially like a GoFundMe campaign where we're raising funds for her legal defense. 
It also links to a short blurb that is a solidarity request that you can share with your networks. Literally copy and paste that blurb, put it in an email, send it to everybody you know. Um, and it also links you to our, our Bonfire store, which is like a website where you can sell merchandise. So t-shirts and all those things. So you can also text that tap WSNC to that number. You'll get a weekly alert on Sundays with our call to action for that week. A lot of times that's going to be um, court watch. Megan was there before court watching with us. I think somebody else from school, from y'all cohort was there, but I don't remember. So court watch is very important, as Ms. Yvette said. Her next date that she's in court is July 28th. Y'all put that in your phones right now. Y'all can come down to Forsyth County Hall of Justice, which is at 201 North Main Street in Winston. We need people there to demonstrate to the DA, to the judges, that the community is around her. That it's not just the radicals with Triad Abolition Project, that it's the community, that it's the Christian folks, right? That it's the white folks, that it's the elderly folks that are supporting, rallying around this event, demanding that these charges be dismissed. If you have questions about more ways, if you want to get more involved, things that y'all can do, you can email us at info at triadabolitionproject.org. That, that information will also come up when we scan this QR code. Um, we really appreciate all the solidarity that y'all have shown so far and any solidarity that y'all show going forward because um, this is going to be a long, long battle that we have to win though because we can't have our other way prison. So thanks y'all.
even more ingrained and more traumatized and then sent out into the community and more and more harm happens. And so as Jesus follows the one who heals, um, it's, our, it's our duty to be a part of this healing justice work. And so um, let's pray a prayer for this event and for Child Abolition Project. Stretch your hands for me, some prayer and hope. We're not just going to pray, we're going to do some stuff after the prayer, but we're going to pray, all right? God, we thank you for the witness of this event. We thank you for her being willing to stand as a watchman, uh, to stand and to observe, to, to straighten her back out and to stand in her own dignity and power that you gave her as an image bearer. And now, God, we pray that your peace that passes all understanding would guard our heart and mind. We pray that every, uh, no weapon formed against her would prosper and that every single white supremacist patriarchal tongue that has been raised up against her, she would be able to condemn. That those charges would be dropped and she would go on to tell the story and continue to raise up young folks, generation after generation, who will join into this struggle, God. We pray for Triad Abolition Project and for their leadership. We pray that you will bless them, cause your face upon to shine upon them and give them grace and peace as they continue this work. And help us, oh God, to do our part. In your mighty name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Can we give it up for this